0: name above every other name and at that name of jesus every knee will bow even those that walked out, that walked out. and we need to pray for those that walked out and i want to pray for those who aren't here today and this has kind of moved me because a part of my my preparation for this week i told bobby i had 14 pages of notes by tuesday and, yeah, and he didn't have time. He only had an hour and a half, and we wouldn't be able to get through. And in that study, I almost didn't use anything, because when I sat down to put it into here, I almost didn't use a lot of it, just the ideas from it. But the, these songs brought back what I was studying on though. And that is occupation with Jesus Christ. Occupation, and that means your mind being occupied with Christ and that name of Christ and what He's done. And what that means is can you remember something in your life that controlled your thinking? I can remember in 1979, it was, I'd met my wife, and she occupied my thinking. And still does. Think about when you were in love. Think about a gift that you was looking for. Whatever it was that you couldn't take your mind off of. And what you did and how you got ready. And everything was centered around that thought. That is what Jesus wants you and I to be towards him. And towards the word of God. He wants us to be occupied with him. Because he is our bridegroom. And we are the bride of Christ. And he's going to come back and get us. And he wants us to be in preparation for that day. And our minds to be occupied with him. And with that it might sound like a crazy question. But how many here want happiness in life and want some joy and want some peace how many want it and wait a minute how many truly want to be happy and want peace you know what that's what we're going to talk about today this occupation with christ him being the center of your life that's what we're going to get real about today I I want you to open your minds and get ready because we're going to get real. If you really do, I want you to know that happiness, joy, contentment is a state of mind. And you have a choice to whether you want to be that way or not every day. And if your mind is occupied with Christ and if it is built upon the foundation of the Word of God and you truly believe in you, the promises that are there, and that God is all-powerful and can do all things, then you are relying in His power and His glory to take care of everything that comes your way, no matter what it is. Paul said, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been thrashed. He said, five times the Jews took me in the same way they took Jesus Five times I received 40 lashes save one. So five times he was whipped with 39 lashes of a whip. I've been shipwrecked. I was beaten with rods. I've been cold. I've been naked. I've been shipwrecked three times and spent a day and a night in the sea. And I have found that in whatever state I am in, I can be content. Because I stand firm on my Lord Jesus Christ who saved me and redeemed me. So if you truly want to be happy, I'm going to show you the key to happiness today. And I pray that our minds can be open. Look at this slide. What the Almighty God Himself has said about happiness and His holy word. Psalm 144, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 146, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, and whose hope is in the Lord his God. And I say another where it says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Nobody can. So, Proverbs chapter 3 this is one of our berean challenges for the week and i pray that you will read chapter 3 and pray on it because right here is some keys to happiness we're going to get ready to talk about in a minute jesus tells the church at philadelphia i have the key of david this is what the key is verse 11 of psalm 3 my son Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Because for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and corrects. Just as a father should correct the son in whom he delights. The chastening of the Lord, my friends, is grace in action. The moment we make a misstep, he begins so that we don't get too far out of line. Hebrews 12 repeats this, the writer there does, when he says that every son whom the Lord loves, he chastens and skins alive with the whip, is the way that the Greek reads. So, happy, verse 13. You will be happy if you find wisdom. And the man who gains understanding, because her wisdom and understanding of the word... Her proceeds are better than any profits of silver her gain is better than any fine gold she is more precious than rubies and all the things that you may desire all the things that you might desire cannot compare with her get these promises now verse 16 Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways provide pleasantness. Her paths will bring you peace. She is like a tree of life to those who will take hold of her. And happy are all those who will retain wisdom and knowledge. And understanding. The Lord by wisdom. Founded the earth. And by understanding. He established the heavens that be. By his knowledge. The depths were broken up. And the clouds drop their dew. My son. Let not them depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom. And that means to hold on. And to guard with everything you got. Keep it. And discretion. So that. Some more promises. Your life will have life to your soul. And grace around your neck. And that's like a necklace that they would wear in those days. And like kings would wear. It portrayed who you were. Did you know that how you portray yourself is like what you're adorned with. And what your necklace is. So if you have this then your life will be adorned with Christ and people will see it in second corinthians paul writes and says that you are a sweet smelling aroma to christ to all of those that you come in contact with you are the aroma of christ it says here if you have my wisdom and my word from my knowledge and you understand it and you adorn your life with its principles it will provide grace To your neck. And you will walk safely in your way. And your foot will not stumble. And when you lie down. You will not be afraid. How many times have you fell asleep. To not fall asleep. Because you kept. Something kept waking you up. And you couldn't sleep. It says if you are adorned. With these things. You will lie down. And you won't be afraid. You will lie down. And your sleep will be sweet. And it would put all of the pharmaceutical makers of sleeping pills out of business. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. In other words, he's not promising us a rose garden. It's still going to be life as usual. But when you have these things, you handle life as usual in a grace way. Don't be afraid when these things come, for the Lord is your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And if the Lord is your confidence and the word is your guide, circumstances and situations do not dictate how you feel and how you react. The word of God that is adorning your life dictates how you act. I could spend hours going over scriptures just like this about the Word of God and the name of Jesus being a part of your life and what it will do for you. Psalm 1 comes to mind. Blessed is the man who doesn't hang out with sinners and sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Jesus and the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, blessed. The word of God brings promise and hope of blessedness. Whenever you put your trust in it. And we're getting ready for the church at Philadelphia. Oh yeah, we're down to the last two. We've made it through five. We're down to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Polar opposites, and I think they were put here to be polar opposites to show us the difference between a life filled with the Word of God and standing on its principles and a life that is not filled with the Word. Philadelphia, as we go through that one today, does not have anything negative said at all about it. There is not a negative word here to that church. When we get to Laodicea... Not a positive word is said about them by our Lord. Difference, your attitude towards the word of God for your life and guide and Jesus Christ as your Lord and master. That is the difference between the two churches. One we're going to find out today has an open door. It's already been open and set before them because they were faithful. The next church is going to have a door that's closed. And I almost brought the picture from back there on the, the, the stand. That shows Jesus knocking at the door. Because it says. Jesus tells Laodicea. Behold I stand at your closed door. And knock. If you would hear my voice. That means he must be imploring. He's saying something to them. He's, he's desiring them to open the door. And let him in. But their attitude is. is I don't want it. There may be some here today who have locked Jesus out and shut the door and haven't been allowing that door to be open to the Word and to it as your guide and been trusting in it. I'm going to pray for you today and myself because it happens to all of us at times, just different times. And that's why last week we talked about, or the week before, talked about the house being framed and and having the two by fours that supported it because at different times were the support and the one needing to be supported and there may be some that's needing that right now there's some here that are not here today that need that so before we read revelation 3 let's pray for a moment Fathers, we humbly approach your throne and we're getting ready to break open your holy and divine word to the church at Philadelphia. It was a church that was blessed. It was a church that was faithful. And you're going to give them the key to happiness. Father, we pray that those here today everyone will open that door and accept your invitation to come in and dine with them and have that key to the joy and happiness of life. And we want to pray for everyone that is not here today. For whatever reason, sickness, I know several who have just had surgery and have problems and are in the hospital. with Christina and Dave comes to mind. We've been praying for them, Father, but there are those who are here that are not here because of a choice made. And we pray that right now you'll work on that. As a body of Christ together, our prayer goes up to you for this. And Father, as we look at the key of David, we pray that you will allow our minds and our hearts to be open and receptive and understand exactly what you're talking about. And we pray that we will grab a hold of it and guard it with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 3, if you're there then. The choice of happiness or not is a choice. It's based upon your positive or negative attitude toward the Lord and His Word. And so let's think about that as we read this section of Scripture. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 3, And to the angel... In the church of Philadelphia, right. These things say he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David. He who has, opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one's open. I know your works, see, I have set before you, There's, see, there's no negative here. Usually he gets into the negative, there's none. I know your works. And then he goes right in. See, I have set before you the open door. No one can shut it. You have a little strength. And here's your key. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. The name that is above all names. I indeed will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and they are not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them come before you and they will fall down and they will worship at your feet and they will come to know that I have loved you because, purpose clause, you have kept my command, kept my word to persevere. I will also promise, keep you, from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast to that that you have. Hold on to it with all that you have, so that no one can take your crown away from you. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name. Boy, there's a lot of stuff going on about the name today, isn't there? A lot of stuff about the name. I will write up on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Those that have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, man. This is like a three-week vacation. There's a lot to unpack here. If we decide to tackle it all, but we're going to take it in little bitty chunks. Let's start with the one that's writing this letter to Philadelphia. He uses four descriptive things about himself, but the first thing he says is he that is holy and he that is true. And there's a definite article In front of each one of that. So it really should be translated. The holy one. The true one. Says this. There is no other. It is the holy and true one. There is no other name. There is no other holy and true one. But the Lord Jesus Christ. So you listen to what I have to say. It means I am set apart. And I am truth. And it means to be genuine. And when he reveals himself and when he talks to you and when he says this word, it is true, but it is genuine. And it will come to pass. You know, God is, there's a lot of descriptives, omnipotent, you know, all powerful, all knowing, all of these things when we think about God. But do you know there's a couple of things that is impossible for God? And you say, I thought everything was possible with God. No, no. There's some things that are impossible with God. A couple of them in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says this. Without faith. It is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith. Comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So without your actions being based upon the word of God. As faith in what you do. It is impossible to please God. Hebrews 6. There's another thing that's impossible with God. Because there's two immutable things about God. And one of them is this. It is impossible for God to lie. It says. He cannot lie. If he lied, he would not be God any longer. So what is written in this word, we continually say is true, 100% genuine, and will come to pass. So when he says, I'm getting ready to give you the key to life and happiness, hold fast to it. I say we ought to hold fast to this and understand what he's talking about. Everything that we have been studying is right as rain because it comes from the one who is the holy and true one. And he cannot lie. I am he who has the key of David. There must be something truly significant about that. So let's open up our minds to what this key of David is. I want to get to David as he's introduced in First Samuel 16. And these will be some of your chapters for the Bereans this week to really dig in and see about this life of David and why why did Jesus say I have the key of David because God took a guy who was not nowhere close to being perfect and he has set him up as the example of somebody who was occupied with God and Christ and so no matter what happened and no matter how he messed up he always repented and he always had a heart towards God and he was always occupied with him so God used David to show us that even when we mess up as long as our hearts is always searching in that right way he is set before us as the key that I bless you and protect you and take care of you 100 percent And that's the key of David. So let's get in. 1 Samuel 16. Saul's not doing very good. And the Lord comes to him and he says, I have found another king that I am going to make in place of Saul. I want you to go to the house of Jesse over in Bethlehem. And I want you to go over there. And of the sons of Jesse, I have chosen for myself. The people chose Saul, but now I am choosing for myself a king. And so... He goes over there and Samuel gets there. And when he does, he invites folks to come to a sacrifice. And he tells Jesse to come and to bring all of your children with you. And so they offer this sacrifice. Samuel's there and and Jesse runs his first son through. And he looks at him and he says, surely that's the one. He's tall. He's strong. He's handsome. He's a military man. Yeah, (laughs) He plays guitar. That wasn't in there. (laughs) But he said, that's surely him. And he starts to move and the Lord says, no, that's not him. So Samuel shakes his head and Jesse runs son number two. And it says that he ran number two, three, four, five, all the way through seven sons before him. And each time the Lord said, no, not the one. No, not the one. And he said, Lord, you told me to come here to Jesse's house all the way to Bethlehem. You told me that you was going to anoint a king, and he brought all of his sons before me, and you've said no. What gives? He says, ask him if he's got any more sons. So he goes and he says, do you have any sons yet that you have not shown me? Jesse says, yeah, I got one, but he's out with the sheep. He's my youngest, he's... he's, you know, what, you know what Jesse's thinking? He's insignificant. He doesn't matter much. If you do a, a really good study of David, you will find out that everyone not only misunderstood him, but they underestimated him. Everybody underestimated David. Mom and dad being prime point. Brothers, whenever he gets ready to fight Goliath, the brothers are all mad at him. What are you doing here away from your measly sheep? Why aren't you out there? He was the lowest man on the totem pole. He had no respect from anyone. Samuel says, you got any more boys? And he says, he's out there in the sheep pen. You don't want him. He said, yeah, bring him here. He comes in. He's a ruddy looking young youth. Lord said, that's the one. He goes over and he anoints him as the future king. A little bit later... Nothing happens right yet. A little bit later, David is told by his father, go take some victuals over to your brothers that's getting in the battle over there. And he goes, and you've got the Philistines on one mountain. And you've got the army of Israel on the other mountain with a valley in between. And they've been standing there like that, looking at each other. Because a giant by the name of Goliath has been challenging them send a person out here to challenge me if i win you're our slaves and if you win uh it we would be yours they just stood there shaking in their boots david comes he's bringing these victuals to his brothers and he sees what's going on and he says why is the army of god as yellow as french's mustard i see how y'all are He said, the Lord is the one that delivers them into our hands. Nobody wanted to go and fight that man. But he said, the Lord will deliver him. I will go. And he goes, they take him to King Saul. Saul says, you can't do that. You've never been in a battle. He's a soldier from his youth up. He says, the Lord that delivered me from the bear and the lion will deliver me from this man too. So he gave him his blessing and he went. And he goes out there, and you know what Goliath does? Same thing that his mom and dad did, disdains him, they laugh at him. Derision. And he looks at him and he says, You're scrawny and you're ruddy and you're little, you're a pipsqueak. You've got a stick and a sling. I've got a sword and a shield. And I am twice as big as you are. Am I a dog that you send somebody like this out after me? Then he did something he shouldn't have done. David was all right up to that point. But then it says that he cursed David by his God. Nobody does that. Nobody talks about my God. I am occupied with my God and He has my presence of mind all the time. And now you've crossed the line, buddy. You uncircumcised Philistine, today I will remove your head from your shoulders and I will feed your carcass to the birds and everyone will know, your army and mine, the world will know that there is a God in Israel. Because the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And he goes out there and he does. And he, he takes the sword after he has struck him with that sling and he chops off his head. And now the yellow army says, woo! God reigns, and then they start chasing them all back, all the way back to Gath. You see what one person energized for God can do in a community. One person Wednesday night, if he was here, the man from the Gadarenes. Jesus left one man there in the Decapolis and said, "You be my witness." And he, that one man, turned. The whole area around. When he came back the next time, they were all coming to see him. The power of one person energized. Oh, but we're not, we're not through with him yet. David comes back. Now, God is providing him with support. It says he comes walking through as they parade back. And the ladies are in the streets singing a song. Top 40 on the, on the countdown says, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. His fame is starting to come. This little young boy that's insignificant and everyone is underestimating. David had friends like you wouldn't believe. Jonathan, the king's own son, became like a brother to him. When he is running away and by himself. All of these men start coming to the cave that he is hiding in. All of the ragtag people that becomes the army of the Lord under King David. All of these ragtags became the army of the Lord. They became the brave and mighty men of David. Because in him... He was adorned with grace around His neck from the wisdom and understanding and the following of Word of God. And He was... The name of Jesus was what He was occupied with. And all of these people came to Him. Those mighty men would do anything for Him. One time, the Philistines held a city down there by Bethlehem where He was from. And He says, Oh, I've drank water out of this well it tastes so good. I wish I had a drink of it right now. Three of his brave men. Went and breached through the entire army of the Philistines. And brought him back. A flask of water. That's what they thought of him. He poured it out. He said I can't drink this. You guys risked your life and risked your blood for this. I will not do this and i think it was so that other people would not risk themselves to do things for him like that he said an example he always wanted to be accepted and god then exalted him above all the others but the main thing was he wanted to be accepted by god and he wanted to be close to god and god to be close to him most people never did accept him But if only God will accept me, he says, that is it. I know I've been everywhere, Paula and Ray. Uh, Next slide. But you know what his desire was? It was to be the apple of God's eye. You know, Psalm 17 and verse 8, David wrote this. He said, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. I'm sure that you've heard that phrase before, the apple of the eye. Do you really know what it means though? It's come down to mean to us something that is the most cherished, most desirable thing to a person. That's the apple of my eye. Let me tell you what it started out being. It started out being that whenever you got so close to someone that you could get right up to where you could see your reflection. In the pupil of their eye. You were so close. And so intimate. That the reflection of you. Was in the black of the pupil of the eye. And so that the one looking at you. Also saw you in their eye. And so what David is saying. Lord. Lord. My family left me out in the field. My first wife. Thought that I was acting crazy. When I danced before you bring in the ark. And I had to put her aside. And have no more relations with her. I've been rejected. By everyone. My brothers. The army. I only want to be acceptable to you. And I want your reflection in my eye and mine in yours so that when you i want to be so close to you that when you see me you see yourself in me you see god in my life because i want to be that close to you that's what he was writing when he said, I want to be the apple of the eye. I want to be hidden under your wings. And when you look at me, you see yourself in me. Isn't that what we are supposed to be in Christ Jesus? We are his aroma. When they see us, they see Christ. Folks, that is the key of David. David. When Jesus stands there and says. I hold in my hand the key of David. That is the key that says. I don't care what goes on in your life. don't care what other people think or done to you. If you will be close to me. Continue to search after me. If you let wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Occupy your mind. My word in you. And when people look at you, they see me in your eyes and your neck is adorned with me. Then I will provide all of those things for you. And life still may be tough. And you might think I'm not there, but I am. And I am taking care of you and preparing you in everything. David so persevered in his life to be like God. That this is God's epitaph for David. David. Years later, six hundred years later, when the writer of Acts is penning it, it says in Acts seventeen and verse twenty two that when God removed Saul as king and he raised up David as king over his people, says God gave this testimony and said, "I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man." Who is after my own heart. Are you kidding me? The one that had Bathsheba. The one who lied at Nob to the priest. And all of the priests were killed save one. And all of their families and all of their kids. And the man who ran from you and had a breakdown in Gath. The man who numbered The people, when he was told not to, and the Lord said, you have to be punished for what you did. And I'm giving you three choices on what punishment you're going to have. And two of them was by mankind, and one of them was from God. David said, I trust you, Lord, above all don't put me in the hands of man because they aren't trustworthy, they aren't just, they aren't holy and true. And I know you are and you will do what is just and I deserve what is just. So I pray that if I must be punished that you do it. David suffered through the death of others because at that time then God said okay and he started striking the people with a plague and that's in your Berean challenge in Chronicles this week. But you will read that 70,000 men died because David numbered the people. And it says that David was on the threshing floor of Aranath, and he looks up that night as he is praying. And it says, The angel of the Lord was standing there with one foot in Jerusalem, and his arm was pulled back with a sword a huge angel of the Lord and was reared back to destroy Jerusalem itself and David got on his knees and he said, Lord, these people are innocent. You're supposed to punish me. Please stop and punish me. And the Lord held back the hand of the angel and said, enough. He's done enough. Isn't what Christ did for us? The punishment went on somebody else. My punishment went on someone else. And I get down on my knees and say, thank you, Father, enough. Thank you for allowing it to be done that way. God said, this is a man after my own heart. This is a man who loved me that much. So therefore, because you have trusted me, And because you have loved me through all of this, listen to what God says He can do. 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17 both say this. Now therefore you tell my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people. And... Listen to this, folks, because this is our promise, too, with the key of David from Revelation that we're reading. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all of your enemies from you. And I have made you a great name like the name of the great men on earth. That's because you followed me. I took you from the sheepfold and made you king. I cut off your enemies. I blessed you. I was with you every step of the way. Psalm 78 is written like this. He chose David his servant. And took him from the sheepfolds. He was following the little ewes that had the little babies. That was bringing the babies to him. And he says, I took you from there. And made you king of my people Israel. I gave you... My inheritance through them. We get an inheritance through Jesus also, don't we? And he shepherded those people according to the integrity of his heart. And he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. The key of David then is blessing and opportunity. You know what that means? You don't have to rely upon your boss... You don't have to please or brown nose anybody. You don't have to rely upon the doctor. You don't have to rely upon friends. You don't have to rely upon family. You don't have to rely upon anyone. God will use them for your benefit. You rely on God. You don't have to grovel and stand and and plead with them. You bow down before God and adorn your life with Him. And He says, I can take you from following a sheep and make you ruler over the greatest nation that is my inheritance. That's what I can do for you because you had integrity of heart. Even in what you did, you always sought me and you always followed after me and you did what I asked you to do when I asked you to do it. And because of that, God now sets up David as the example to all of us Of what kind of blessing and honor he can do for those who follow in that pathway and do that. What did we start out with on being happy? Psalm 144, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. How about Proverbs 3 again? If you hold on and gain wisdom and knowledge and understanding. He says, I will give you length of days, riches and honor. Pleasantness, peace, a tree of life, safety, no fear, sleep. If the Lord is your confidence. So as the worship team returns back up. How does that transfer back to us and to Revelation 3? Well listen. Revelation 3 and verse 8. I have set before you now an open door. The one who is true and holy and holds the key. Of David as the example that I can set before you an open door that's already opened and no one can shut it. That means the devil can't shut it, his demons can't shut it, the holy angels can't shut it, your boss can't shut it. If he is for you, who can be against you? That is the commendation, that's the exhortation. To this faithful church that followed him and did his will. He says, I give you the key of David. The doors that are open to opportunity and peace in life. That means he will be in charge of your step. And you don't need anyone else to promote you and to take care of you. He still holds the key. He still has it. And it's for us to follow this example so I pray that every one of us as a body of Christ here that the Lord and the Spirit has opened up our minds to receive this wonderful promise of blessing that if we will truly trust build an edification complex of the word of God within you and hang on to wisdom he says I, this is what you get the key of David. As the example for us, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example that you have put in your holy and divine word that lives and abides forever. That for your faithful people, that you still hold the key that you gave to David to unlock kingdoms and riches and glory and honor and friendship and relationships and victories. That you still hold that same key to us. And he had adversity in his life all the way through. But you guided, took care of him every step of the way. And you've promised to do that with us if we will trust in thee. And we praise you and we thank you for what you're about to do in our lives. And through our lives in this community. In Jesus name. Amen.